um, to me, uh, I have to say, a career changer. I was captivated by this notion of educating um, students differently and increasing, you know, being able to, to bring these resources and really maybe uh, have a, a significant impact on the supply of uh, physicians and focus in this area more extensively. That was Peter Hornifer talking about his experience of changing healthcare education. You're listening to Casting the Network with David Smith and Hitamisa. Each episode, we'll be talking to a guest to bring you stories, knowledge, skills, and research that center around healthcare education. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy it. Casting the Network is powered by Lecturio, a global leader in digital medical education. Lecturio believes it's time to teach evidence-based medicine in an evidence-based manner. It provides the content and digital platform to enable learning, science-based medical education delivery. Lecturio works with any curriculum or mix of learning formats. To find out more, visit lecturio.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting the Network. Thank you for joining us again. I'm joined by my co-host, Hitam Mitha. Hi again, everyone. And today we'll be talking about the global health workforce shortages and the educational options to tackle these issues. And we are joined today by Dr. Peter Hornifer. Hi, Peter. Hi, very nice to, uh, to be joining you today. Excellent. And it's very, very nice to have you on. It would be great if you could just give us a quick overview um, of uh, yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Well, um, certainly. So I'm, I am located in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, where I came um, a number of years ago um, to, to go through medical school at Johns Hopkins and fortunate to be able to stay there through residency and, and um, uh, my career. Um, uh, presently, I have uh, several roles. Um, I am the executive dean of the All-American Institute of Medical Sciences, which is an innovative, uh, um, small government chartered yet private medical school in Jamaica. And I can tell you a little bit more about that project in a minute. Um, I also serve as director of medical education programs for Lecturio, which is a uh, medical education um, uh, platform. Um, and uh, my medical career um, has been as a cardiothoracic surgeon, um, but um, uh, my interests uh, shifted uh, about 12 years ago towards education. And um, at present, um, I have some oversight responsibilities and coverage of uh, in a couple hospitals, uh, both in Maryland in heart surgery, but my primary focus is on um, education. Um, I can uh, about uh, twelve years ago, um, while uh, uh, in the midst of practice, um, I was approached um, to uh, start um, or help actually uh, redirect a program that was uh, being established in the South Pacific, um, whose aim was to bring medical education to underserved areas. And quite remarkably, it's hard to fathom, but, but at that time, um, I, I was asked to use something relatively new called the internet. Um, and, and I think we, we all take it for granted now, but this was uh, 
um, a, a fairly innovative idea. Uh, many regulatory bodies at the time um, did not approve of education via the internet, but the goal was to use the internet to bring um, medical resources to an underserved uh, area. And uh, we established what I believe was the first uh, um, ultimately um, uh, fully accredited medical school to deliver the didactic portion online um, in the South Pacific. But we also had students in Australia, New Zealand, and the United States taking the didactics online and getting trained in their local hospitals and had uh, successful graduates from all those countries. So that was really, a, um, to me, uh, I have to say, a career changer. I was captivated by this notion of educating um, students differently and increasing, you know, being able to, to bring these resources and really maybe uh, have a, a significant impact on the supply of uh, physicians and uh, really decided to make, um, to, to, to change the path of my career and, and focus in this area um, uh, more extensively. So you, you kind of touched there on, on what your passion is, and it kind of seems like it's tackling the current global health workforce shortage, uh, especially in those underserved areas that you talked about. Why is it so important that we do this? Well, I, you know, to, I believe and I, I, I hope this is shared that, that you know, health is, is sort of a, is a fundamental value, something we, we treasure. You, anybody who's, who's fallen into poor health <laughs> realizes how lucky we are. And many people in, in developed countries uh, take it for granted. But if you go to underdeveloped countries, uh, the ability um, to access healthcare is is really um, not a foregone conclusion, um, and I think if if we improve um, the the health and the state, uh, I think we have a global responsibility. Um, uh, without being too philosophical, but as a species, to, to you know, I think we like taking care of each other, especially those of us in healthcare. It's what motivates us. And um, if we have an opportunity to redefine how this is done and, and to change it for the better, I think we will have more stable populations, um, more uh, cooperation, and um, we'll, we'll be building towards a better future. Yeah. And from your perspective, um, and obviously within the general context of the the global health workforce shortages that everyone knows we have and most countries, almost every country actually is suffering. What would you say the role of education of the health workforce can sometimes play in confounding this issue? Like, you know, again, a, a part of human nature is we like to stick with what we know, we're, we're comfortable. And so change can be um, disruptive. Um, I think uh, one of the, the, the big challenges is to convince folks that there, there are better ways to do it. 
Um, uh, I'm, I'm often challenged, especially at established um, uh, institutions. They say, well, you know, we're doing fine. Why change? Um, and um, I would say, well, you think you're doing fine, but I think we could be doing a lot better. And, and just look at those industries that have evolved. Um, and by and large, I, I'm, a, I'm a fundamental optimist. I think we are a lot better off now than we were in the last century or the century before. And, and that comes from progressive incremental change. And we don't always get it right the first time, but we are moving in the right direction. We need to continue doing that. So how did you go about actually initiating that change in the education where you were where you were setting up either in, in the South Pacific or even in Jamaica? I think the most important thing um, that I found is that one needs to convince um, those that you're trying to change the importance in the change. Answer the question, why change? And um, so I'll take the example in the South Pacific in going through the accreditation process. It was it was virtually unheard of to deliver uh, online didactics or to use online methodologies. And frankly, at the time, many quote unquote academic institutions had launched online programs that weren't effective, were giving degrees that may not have been you know, fully validated. And, and there was a bit of a stigma in the early days to online education. I know the, the licensing board in the U.S. even had a, a statement that said that online, you know, that, that programs couldn't be accredited in the U.S. if they had online components. Um, that only changed with a white paper uh, that was uh, put out in 2015, suggesting that in some forms, it may be on occasion acceptable. Well, we take the, the context of the pandemic and, and things have, have obviously changed uh, dramatically. Um, so I think what we were able to do in Samoa is, is demonstrate that a... Um, a country with a you know a total I forget I believe it was it was under twenty physicians for the whole country um, very few basic scientists um, uh, to to teach the the basic sciences uh, when I started there was one teacher who was supposed to cover all subjects um, it was really not a sustainable approach and yet I could come in tap colleagues from Hopkins, from other U.S. universities to give online lectures um, in a synchronous fashion and set up classrooms. It's interesting, as few resources as they had, they did have a fiber optic internet connection in Samoa. The, the internet has wow. spread and, and we all have challenges, especially with everybody using it during the pandemic. But in general, there, there have been efforts to bring internet. Um, and, and it's not perfect anywhere. We're all struggling with it, but, but it's pretty darn good. And it's certainly better than not having anything. And so we were able to show the value that we brought. And yet 
the students in all the programs that, that they were the, both the programs I've been involved with in the leadership capacity always had face-to-face with patients, with doctors, with hospitals. There are patients that need care everywhere in the world. What you don't have is a basic science, uh, you know, biochemist, pathophysiologist, pharmacist, you know, pharmacologist, um, you know, the, the, the people that really do belong in universities that do a lot of research that that also can teach their primary subjects but but as teachers um i believe we're we're understanding that you can do a lot of that effectively um the other thing i i would say that uh, um, is important is that the the other value proposition is not just in transporting um uh, education but is in delivering it differently. And though I started out with a project to bring education to an underserved area, my interest has actually evolved um, from that. And I would have to uh, probably characterize my primary interest now uh, in optimizing the delivery of educational materials, because I think technology has a huge role to play. And the corollary advantage is that you can disseminate this, you can deliver it everywhere. But what I found is both in Samoa and Jamaica, there are some really bright students who have had very minimal academic backgrounds. So initially they struggle to get um, information out of text to understand, you know, to be able to to do well on standardized tests. Very few of them would qualify for established medical education programs. But if you work with them in in innovative ways and you understand that they have the native intelligence, many of them make outstanding physicians. Um, the the best academicians are not necessarily going to be the the best doctors. And so my endeavor has been to find the methodologies that produce the best doctors. And along the way, I would contend that these improved methods of of, uh, education, of learning, making, you know, developing a student-centric approach will be a value for the student's at Hopkins, as well as uh, Ames, the you know my school in in Jamaica, um, so that's that's really my primary focus now, and and overlaps I think completely with increasing the workforce, and not just in medical uh, for medical students, but I think this applies to uh, pharmacists and nurses and and all healthcare professionals and, and probably broadly so though I think um, you know my my interest has been in the medical education arena specifically it seems like you you've faced a lot of challenges there and obviously when you're changing anything or bringing in, in anything new you're always going to face loads and loads of different challenges did, did it take a while to get people on board with the ideas that you had and what it was that you wanted to implement uh, absolutely and it 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 still is and and I can't say that I <laughs> I'm still working on it um uh you know, um, I, I uh, started uh, at Ames in Jamaica 
Um, so I, I, I left the Samoan project really um, passionate about the opportunity and the endeavor. And I have to say that although I, I loved heart surgery, um, I, you, you help one patient at a time. Um, one of the great things I found in education is if you educate a, a number of folks, each of them can go out and in turn help many more um, people. And, and I found this quite powerful. Um, so I left there um, really seeking an ed tech partner because I, I understood that, uh, or at least I felt <clears throat> That, that universities weren't equipped to do what needed to be done on the software side and the organizational side. And that's when I, um, uh, after several, um, you know, looking at a, a multitude of, of platforms that were just starting to be developed, um, came across the group based in Leipzig, Germany, the Lecturio group, um, that had very much the same vision is to aggregate um, medical education resources and deliver them in a uh, in a way that was scientifically sound. And when I say scientifically sound, was based on um, uh, researched uh, elements in, in learning science or validated um, methodologies. Um, you know, we practice in medicine based on <clears throat> evidence and studies. Uh, evidence-based medicine, and that's a relatively new concept. When I even when I started in in medical school, uh, you did things because the senior physicians had always done them that way, and that's that's how you know we we have taught for ages. And then there was a, a move towards looking at the evidence. When I started as a surgery resident, and you had a hernia repaired, you were kept on a week of bed rest, and that was just by it had always been done that way and people were developing complications because of that. It was felt, you know, and they realized that early mobilization was not only not a risk, but was a benefit. And I think we need to approach education the same way um, and uh, look um, for, for really, you know, what makes sense. So this was the approach at Lecturio and, and I agreed to join um, the Lecturio group. I think it was a natural fit. They were looking for physician leadership. Um, and uh, one of the schools that was using Lecturio was Ames in Jamaica that was started by an innovative, also a general surgeon um, who had emigrated from India and found this tremendous shortage, not only of um, physicians, but healthcare professionals and started a pharmacy um, pharmacy school and, and other trainings for, for ancillary staff and uh, had established a school in a small remote part of the uh, country based on, uh, you know, with the endeavor to increase capacity for that uh, country and um, met him and was really um, very impressed by his vision and so agreed to take over a leadership position as executive dean there and went when I arrived at the school everything was paper and pencil based and files in a very traditional sense and lectures and 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 had a move towards um, 
digitizing everything. You know, I was concerned if a storm came in and <clears throat> a tsunami or, uh, you know, we, we, we needed to have our records uh, and, and our materials um, safely stored. Um, I felt that uh, uh, conducting exams online um, would be more efficient. Um, and I remember there was a lot of resistance, but we, we, we pushed through and interestingly went to complete online exams and digital formats by late 2019. So in fact, when the pandemic hit in 2020, I, I, I still remember um, hearing, and I, I wasn't told this directly, but, but the joke on campus was um, one of the professors, you know, had joked that Dr. Hornifer had unleashed COVID-19 just to prove, you know, that, that it was necessary to do all these uh, <laughs> uh, digital exams that, that everybody was finding uh, cumbersome and, and, and hard to uh, and hard to do. So here we were. So we never at Ames missed a day of classes. We when the pandemic hit and the government um, basically shut down all the schools, um, we continued. We just we, all our meetings were on Zoom anyway. So we just converted to Zoom classes, but had our exams all preloaded. We had um, we we had adopted a software. Um, actually developed initially uh, in India and, um, you know, that had to secure uh, webcam surveillance and, uh, um, you know, was, by that point was, was uh, well integrated into the program. So we were able to continue uh, in an unaltered fashion, but, uh, you know, the, there still is pushback. Um, I'm trying to promote um, uh, new ways to teach the the flipped classroom you may have heard of when where where students prepare ahead of time and the classes are no longer lecture based is my my current endeavor to to uh, promote heavily um, and change takes time and and one needs to be patient. That's really that's really interesting, Peter and. Um, I think it's a nice um, segue into our next question, actually, which is um, around some of the concessions that you may have had to make during this process. I really like the fact you mentioned your optimism <laughs> in the um, in the conversation that we've just um, had. Um, but did your optimism ever waver, um, particularly in making some of these concessions um, throughout the process of the, the change that you've just that you've just spoken about? Well, perhaps, uh, I don't know if it's a fault or not, but, but I, I have to honestly say no. Um, I'm, I'm patient. Um, mm -hmm. I realize that, that change takes time. Um, and, and perhaps, uh, you know, it, it speaks to being fundamentally optimistic for what, whatever that means when I first arrived. In Jamaica, frankly, I did, uh, you know, I, uh, my role in the first few months was was primarily to observe, to see, you know, what was being done mm -hmm. and how, um, and then to try and implement uh, change um, uh, progressively. Um, we, we have, uh, we've attracted uh, 
um, interesting um, individuals to help with the Ames project. And one was a, um, uh, a also general surgeon who was a U.S. Navy captain from India, originally retired, was married to a Jamaican. As a wonderful analogy, he says, well, you know, if you if you put a frog in hot water, they'll they'll jump right out. But if you put them in cool water and you slowly turn up the temperature, they're apt to tolerate it, and and the they they don't jump out. So if ever you know he's he's always quick to remind me that uh, you know he doesn't want a bunch of frogs on his desk in his office in Jamaica. And um, so if I turn up the heat too much. Uh, um, he, he reminds me of the uh, frog analogy, but I think it's a very good one. And a very powerful thing that I found is that if you if you make caregivers also educators, it, it does two things. It gives them a solid foothold in their communities, but it also um, it, it compels them to stay at the forefront of what is known. And especially in this day and age where it's very easy to go on the internet and and understand the latest. If you have somebody asking you a question, a resident, a student, you're much more apt to be up on the latest uh, information than if you're just practicing in a silo, doing what you do every day it, it it's harder to compel yourself and and you think you know it but you actually don't until that student or that resident asks you so i think there's tremendous value in having many small centers of education and again this is something that now through technology we could do it was it was financially impossible to relocate universities to places like um, Appiah and Samoa, there was, when I was there, there was the, the whole country had one traffic light. Many, most roads weren't paved. Um, uh, you know, the, it was, it was really minimally resourced. Um, but yet we could create a medical school there. Um, and the same uh, Ames in Black River, Jamaica, lovely, small part. It's, most people haven't heard of it because there's not, there's a little bit of tourism, but um, it, it's really a, a, mostly an agricultural part of the island. There's a local hospital. And I believe that as we evolve the medical school there, we are attracting faculty that also want to practice, uh, hopefully, in the in the local hospital, and that the hospital will will grow and be able to offer more services um, just by virtue of being associated with a medical school. And 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 the government is is fully supportive of this project, seeing that potential benefit. So I think that's the corollary. If we if we disseminate our centers of education, it's more than just about producing doctors. It's about changing the communities those education centers are located in. Yeah, I think that like you, you kind of touched on a few things there. And Jamaica and Samoa seem like very different worlds to where we are at the moment in the UK and, and in America. And But overall, really, we want the we want our healthcare professionals to have those same core values. We want them to be professional. We obviously we want them to be clinicians, um, but we also need them to be academic in their own right and learning for themselves. 
and then also educators to be providing that next step for all the other people as well. But one of the things that you you kind of touched on there, using your analogy of turning the heat up on the frog, uh, what part of turning the heat up is it that you enjoy the most? What part of the initiating a new system did you actually enjoy in, in Jamaica and Samoa? I was pleased. Uh, I had nothing to do with the pandemic, uh, say it now officially. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, to, I, what I had launched on a theoretical basis um, of improving education and also providing options, I, I, had, I had potentially anticipated other disruptive forces of nature. I, I, I wouldn't for a minute pretend that I could have forecasted the pandemic. Um, although other other luminaries have, um, but or had, I, I should say, um, but but um, it was very rewarding to have started a process and and to be in the leadership position of um, a small, you know, not widely recognized school, and yet be in much better shape than than many established uh, institutions. The other thing I would comment on that I was struck both in Samoa and Jamaica is that the physicians there um, are, are a very impressive group from the, you mentioned core values. Um, that isn't lacking at all. Um, they've been very welcoming and, and very um, dedicated and eager to teach, it's all I provide is some guidance with the structure, introduction to the technology. Um, uh, you know, we, we bring the tools, but on the clinical level, um, they they do need in many ways more tools. But but we have um, all our students stay in the government hospital system for clerkships, and quite honestly, because of all the hands-on experience um, they get, and the fact that you arrive in a Jamaican hospital, you get a, a very careful history physical because you can't go immediately to the CAT scanner or, or to, uh, you know, this uh, diagnostic device. So, so it, it's an impressive group of, of clinicians. Um, and I think what we're building is sort of an educational fabric to really help them blossom. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's been very rewarding. The big challenge is introducing the basic science concepts because the, the, the challenge is in taking students that don't have a rich academic background um, and, and getting them to absorb a huge volume of information. As you know, that uh, there's a knowledge explosion, which technology is helping to fuel. And my contention is the only way we're going to deal with this for students is to leverage technology um, to, to solve the problem of, you know, how to assimilate, how to retain um, all the new information being generated. Thanks, Peter. That's um, really interesting. And unfortunately, we're sort of coming to the end of our chat. I think we could we could go on and on because um, it really is a fascinating subject. And obviously, 
education is ever evolving and certainly you have been on the uh, the crest of many of these changes over the last few years. Um, and obviously these changes have been heightened by the situation we find ourselves in with the current pandemic. Um, but we always like to kind of finish with a with a tough question for our um, for our guests. So um, our question today is: Do you have a vision of what healthcare education might look like in the future? I, I think I have, a, at least from my perspective, a pretty clear vision um, uh, in a in a broad sense. Um, I I firmly believe, as I just mentioned, that technology has fueled. Um, the creation of uh, this explosion of, of knowledge and, and options. Um, I think that education needs to be um, needs to leverage technology far more extensively than it has. Um, and so, uh, where we've where the center of educational experiences has been either a school campus or a school building. I believe the schools of the future will be centered on one or more digital platforms that can use um, uh, artificial intelligence, AI. It can help um, with with, uh, both faculty and students in guiding their process. One of the great challenges is, you know, do you really know what you think you know? There's a concept called metacognition. But I think we need to rely on technology. I, I couldn't do a, a fraction of what I do if I didn't have my smartphone, which I, I couldn't even have conceived of uh, 10, 15 years ago. So uh, I can't precisely tell you what all the tools are. I think we have to be a little careful not to jump too far ahead and spend a lot of time on technology just for technology's sake. But um, on the other hand, I think digital platforms should be front and center. I think every school should you know, have a nerve center that's digitally based, that's following, that's collecting data on students to help them learn better, that, um, uh, that distributes educational materials, um, that tracks that progress. I think that's here and now. That that is really, I think, an absolute uh, um, requirement, and I think that that will only evolve. So the platform, what I what I often refer to as platform based educational approaches. I think that's really interesting to see that you think that technology obviously is going to keep growing and growing, and we as educators we need to evolve with that, but not let it completely consume what we do and still have those core values of what you say, the basic science in there and and that ability to teach with a person and a patient in front of you is really still key. Right, right. Absolutely. And 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 I have no vision that technology is going to replace um, faculty in any way, shape or form. It's just you make much better use of faculty time if they don't stand up and give the same hour-long lecture of which students retain 10% um, and then go back and in this day and age, rewatch the video or they don't come to class at all. 
Um, so we, we need to figure out, as I said early on in the conversation, it's crucial. You know, what we do is we provide a service to people. You need people to people connections, but you need to leverage technology where it's helpful, not overuse it. Um, and remember, you know, the, the, the key intent of what we do is, is to, to make, to educate people, to, to help other people people recover or hopefully prevent illness, uh, quite honestly, as, as well as recover from illness. Yep, agreed. And um, I think that's a nice, um, a nice way to end this podcast. Um, a nice call to arms there, um, I guess, for healthcare educators and policymakers, um, but also something that we can, we can all play a part in um, and, uh, and move forward um, with that message. So thank you very much. Peter for for joining us today um, and for giving us a small um, insight into your your vast experience um, on these topics. Um, thank you once again to my co-host Hizimitha, um, and we hope to see you all again very soon. This podcast was brought to you by the International Network for Health Workforce Education. INWA is a multi-stakeholder, interprofessional network aiming to improve the education and training provided to health professionals globally. We promote online knowledge sharing, run academic events, and participate in research projects. You can join our network completely free by visiting www.inwa.org. You can follow us on Twitter at INWA underscore network, and please share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Google, iTunes or Spotify. And if you enjoyed it, leave us a positive rating. Casting the Network is co-hosted by Hitton Mitha and David Smith and produced and edited by Hitton Mitha. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. See you next time.